Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. But remember, the one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. But for us, it seems like an eternity, but we know that He is coming. He says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast, or hold to those things that you have, that no man may take your crown. And and we will receive rewards, and that's what that crown speaks of. Welcome, everyone, to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio. Pastor Rob concludes the letter to the church at Philadelphia today with some encouraging words from Jesus. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. As he tells them this, he also reminds them that they must prepare for his coming. Then he says, Hold fast what you have. The Church of Philadelphia must not depart from its solid foundation of evangelistic opportunity, reliance on God, and faithfulness to Jesus. Those are also the things we need to hold on to in these last days. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. To deny his name is like a slap in the face, isn't it? But he says, and you have not denied my name. You know, I love that song by Chris Tomlin. It says, how can I keep from singing your praise? It was, it's the song that we have on our radio program at 6.30 uh, weekdays here. And it's one of my favorite songs because how can I keep from singing your praise, Lord? How can I keep from singing when you have done all that you've done? Even if I had nothing on this earth, but I had the assurance of salvation, that would be enough because my life, your life, 80, 90 years, maybe 100 years if you're really doing well, but that's it. And then eternity, folks. That 80, 90, 100 years is going to seem like a, it's going to be like a, a vapor compared to eternity. So how can I keep from singing your praise, Lord? How can I keep from singing your praise? In Matthew 10, verse 32, notice, you've not denied my name. Jesus spoke to his disciples in Matthew 10, verse 32. He says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And so we see that we ought not to deny the Lord. 
ought not to deny them. And that ought to affect our evangelization, our evangelism, and reaching out to others. You know, are you afraid to speak to somebody? Now, granted, in the world we live in now, you know, very few people want to talk about that subject. But it's the one thing that we have to be willing to talk about. And when you have an open door, when somebody is there telling you and pouring their heart out to you how they're scared about the coronavirus, or they're scared about losing their job, or scared about losing their life, that is an open door, folks. Do you see? That's an opportunity that God has allowed for us to walk in that door, that opportunity. And don't deny the Lord. Speak the truth in love. We have to tell them the truth. And the truth sometimes hurts, right? Because the truth is, the, the, the truth is, is that I'm a sinner. I need salvation. I need someone to save me. And Jesus is the only one who could. God in the flesh. He died in my place. I love what, what Paul said, the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 1, what did he say in verse 16? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. I need to be careful to not deny his name. And Jesus is saying to this church at Philadelphia, you have a little strength and you have not denied my name. Jesus' name is so important. Jesus is so important, his name. He goes, because, verse 10, you have kept my command to persevere. Oh, I skipped a verse. I'm sorry. Let's go back to verse 9. He says, indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Uh, Just as we saw in the church of Smyrna in that letter in chapter 2, the same is true here. There was a group of Jewish people who lived in that town of Philadelphia, and they claimed to know God, but they were actually opposed to Him. And they were actually one of the main instigators, the main persecutors of the church at that time. And instead of listening to God, who they claimed to know, they were actually giving in to the devil. And that's really what it is. And so Jesus calls it the synagogue of Satan. You know, it should have been the synagogue of Philadelphia where Jewish people believed and, and they believed in the Lord and they embraced the Christians because the, all of the scriptures were about Jesus. Didn't Jesus say that? In the volume of the book, it is written of me. In the volume of the book, the whole Bible, it's written about him. You look on it and it, it all speaks of him. It's all about his plan of redemption. It's all there for us. But they were the synagogue of Satan and they, they didn't have the faith in their heart Uh, in God at all. They were more interested in the rules and the regulations. Now, does that make us angry with the Jews? And No, we shouldn't be angry with them. They, they, just like Gentiles, need a Savior. They need salvation through Christ. They need it just as we need it. So there is no difference. But Jesus spoke to them that they were of the synagogue of Satan. Verse 10, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, remember at this time, the Roman Empire was uh, in place. And not only was this speaking locally uh, about the spread of the Roman Empire and the persecution that they would endure as a result, they would certainly, Jesus said, I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth. Locally, it could be speaking of the Romans and their influence and their persecution, but I also believe that it may be referring to true Christians being removed before the great tribulation period, which we know is yet to come upon the earth. Now, 
we've been talking about these churches locally. We really haven't been talking about them dispensationally, meaning that each of these churches really describes an, an era of time in the church ages, in the church age, I'm sorry. And, um, uh, and so uh, that last church, Church of Laodicea, that is the last church that describes the church, that, which we're going to get to next week. It describes the church before the return of Christ for the rapture of the church. It describes, and it's not something that's good either, uh, meaning the church at that time was completely lukewarm, and it speaks of that time. And so he says, I will keep you from the hour of trial. And, you know, if you think about the believers in Philadelphia, you know, their heart was right, and God is going to rapture them. They are going to be taken up, even though they are dead in the ground right now. They are in glory, but their physical bodies are going to be resurrected at the coming of Jesus at the rapture. Not his second coming, but his coming for the church in the rapture. And I believe that that could be what this means as well about this trial, that God will keep them from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world. That kind of changes things, doesn't it? Because uh, now it's speaking about some tribulation that's going to affect the entire world. And so, um, and he's going to deliver them. And incidentally, let me just throw this in here really quick. You'll notice in chapter 4 of Revelation, the very first verse, what does it say? We're going we're gonna to get to this in uh, two weeks from now, but it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first trump or the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this, after the church age is removed, or after the church age is over. And I love how he spoke to the, the church at Philadelphia, and he says, I've given you an open door, a door that is open. And so those who, um, the door is wide open for these folks. And so they are going, there's no doubt that these this church, these people in this church are going to be taken at the rapture. And that's the, the, the same thing we want to, um, we want to exemplify that as well. It doesn't mean that the other churches aren't going to go as well, but notice the door is wide open for them. And so you can just take with that however you want to take it, but I think that's very interesting. He says, verse 11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no man may take your crown. The idea is that when Jesus does return, it is going to be quick. Uh, we've been waiting. The church has been waiting for the Lord to return at the, for the rapture of the church. And certainly they've been um, looking forward to uh, his second coming, uh, which is going to usher in his uh, thousand-year reign, which the Bible speaks very clear of. And we've been waiting for that for a long time. But remember, the one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. But for us, it seems like an eternity, but we know that He is coming. He says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast, or hold to those things that you have, that no man may take your crown. And, and we will receive rewards, and that's what that crown speaks of. And so, in verse 12, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. Now, this is interesting because as we look at um, uh, this, uh, we're going to see three things. Uh, God is going to uh, make them the pillar. And he's going to write on, on them. And we'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself here. So a pillar in ancient times was something, uh, it was a symbol of strength and security. And in fact, 
being in Israel recently, we visited a town called Beth Shan, which is um, one of the towns there along the Jordan Valley. And all that's left there today are pillars because everything else had broken down through a series of earthquakes uh, over the years. And all that's standing is a pillar. But a pillar speaks of strength and security and um, and oftentimes that's all that's left after everything else has crumbled. And so, and then famous people in those days they would often have their names inscribed on pillars in different buildings, just as a way to um, uh, to remember them by. And while it is an honor, G- Jesus says to him who overcomes, he will be a pillar. Not that he will have his name written on a pillar, but he, that he will be a pillar for those who overcome in the temple. And again, that's significant because this town, Philadelphia, was ravaged by earthquakes and aftershocks, and it was a disaster. But going on, notice what he says. He says, I'll write on him the name of my God. In verse 12, we're going to see three different stamps of ownership that God gives. First is the name of God the Father is going to be written on him. Second, the name of the new Jerusalem is going to be written on him. And also, thirdly, the new name of Jesus. Now, Jesus has a name in glory that only he knows, and yet when we are there with him, he is going to write that name on, on the believers. And, and a, a name like that, it's a, it's a symbol of ownership. And even though Jesus is equal with God the Father, Jehovah, he is submitted to God in all things. Notice, I will write on him the name of my God. Now, Jesus is God, but he's also speaking to his Father as God. And writing a name or a symbol on a person, again, it speaks of ownership. And sometimes servants back in those days uh, would receive a mark. They would be marked by their owner, uh, stating ownership. And even today, uh, and sorry to bring this into the same um, context, but even uh, owners of cattle and livestock, they have branding. They brand their animals, and even some of them today are implanting chips inside of their animals. They have GPS locators where they can actually find their animals if they go astray. And so, but there is a uh, an identifying mark on these individuals, and certainly um, on on livestock. Even we see that today. But notice, Jesus says, "I will write on him the name of my God." I will write my name of my God on on him. And God has that right to write upon us by just by the act of creation itself, God has that right. And perhaps this is why God forbid the children of Israel, way back in the book of Leviticus, he forbid them to put tattoos and marks on their bodies. Because when you think of a name, when you think of a mark that's placed on you, again it speaks of ownership and uh, God wants to own you. He wants to take uh, control over you. You know, ultimately, when you're with Him, He's going to place a mark on you. Three marks, actually, it seems, anyway. In Leviticus chapter 19, uh, God says to Moses, to the children of Israel, You should not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. And, you know, if you have a tattoo today, don't, don't think that you're automatically going to be, you know, separated from God. That's not the case. Your, your faith is what's important. I know believers uh, who have given themselves to the Lord, and um, before they did, they were bikers. And some of them have tattoos all over the place, but God has forgiven them. Uh, but my point in the whole thing is, is what mark do you have on you? You know, sometimes, you know, young people go to get a tattoo just because it, it looks cool. 
But it's a mark. It's a, it's a mark of the world upon them. And God told the children of Israel not to put any marks on themselves. And why did he do that? Because he knew that he ultimately wanted to have his mark on you. A mark means something. It means ownership. That's why in the end, we know in the book of Revelation, it talks about the great tribulation period right prior to when everything, uh, when we're actually in the midst of everything, uh, that the, the false prophet uh, who is going to be serving the Antichrist, he is going to place a mark on people. And they will have to have a mark on their bodies in their right hand or in their forehead in order to buy or sell or to eat. They're going to need this mark, and it's going to be a mark of ownership. Now, you think about it today. You know, I mean, um, it, it's not a far stretch to think if, 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 if a government, if a government came and said to its people, uh, you cannot eat, you cannot buy anything, you need to place this mark on you, and it's going to be a mark that's going to, it's an allegiance that you're going to make to us, to the government or to a leader, and without that mark, you can't buy, you can't sell, you can't do anything. You can't go to Walmart, you can't, you can't go to Wegmans, you can't go to Publix. You know how many people are going to stand up in line to get that mark? And not only that, I'm sure it'll have a GPS in it where they can track your, your financial transactions. It'll be able to track where you are physically. They'll see your spending habits. They're doing that already through the phones, right? And so um, it, it doesn't take a, it's not a far stretch of the imagination to see that these things are coming, and they are indeed coming. They're already in place. And we'll be looking at that as we get later on in the book of Revelation. But it is interesting that all of these things are already in place. All it takes is for uh, a situation to come about where people are desperate enough. Uh, in fact, I know that the, um, um, there's portions of our government, the radical left, even when we were going through this coronavirus, they, they were trying hard to press a digital currency. And this is part of it. This is part of the whole thing that we're talking about because ultimately it's going to fall into the hands of this man of lawlessness. But notice in verse 12, he says, I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem. Now, whether this is a, uh, the name New Jerusalem or whether it's a, a name that's synonymous with the New Jerusalem, we really don't know. But that New Jerusalem is a real place that is going to be created after the new heavens and the new earth are created, after this current heavens and earth are dissolved. You can read about it. We don't have time. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 21 in the first eight verses. But he also says that I will write on him my new name. So Jesus, it, it, his name, and that's why when we began this morning, we sang that song, Your Name, because Jesus' name is synonymous with perfection. His name means everything. His name has a character and a reputation behind that name. You know, when, if I mention certain names to you, you're going to have an idea whether this person is really evil or whether they're really good. When I mention names like Adolf Hitler, when I mention names like Osama bin Laden or Saddam Hussein, or I mention a name like Billy Graham or Chuck Smith or John the Apostle or even Jesus, these are good men, and certainly Jesus is all mighty God, and he has the best name. And Jesus says, and I will write on him my new name, a name that we don't know right now, but he's going to place his name upon you as a stamp of ownership. You know, and Jesus has purchased us. There's so many scriptures that refer to that. You know, I love one in Isaiah chapter 49, and we're almost finished here. In Isaiah chapter 49, in verse 16, it says, see, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Jesus speaking of uh, to the Jews. 
But notice I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Inscribing something means writing into, right? And, and the very name of God, he's going to place that upon you. And it, again, it speaks of ownership. And finally, he ends the, the letter here and he says, He who has an ear. Uh, does everybody have ears? you got two of them. The Lord gave me two ears and one mouth. And that means that I should probably listen twice as much as I speak. <laughs> and so he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we all have ears, but are we hearing? Are we listening? That is the question that only you can answer. You have an ear, but are you hearing? Are you listening to what the Bible is saying about who Jesus is and about His great plan for each one of us? You know, and as he's writing to this church, again, the church at Philadelphia, what a wonderful church. And I pray that as time goes on, and even right now, I pray, Lord, make me part of that church. I want to be part of that church. I want to be a church that's faithful. I want to be a part of a church that's faithful. I don't want to be a part of a church that is dead and that everything it does is dead, where its worship is dead, where its teaching is dead, where everything is dead. I want to be a part of a church that's alive. And again, that's not the Lord's fault, is it? It's not his fault when a church is dead. It just means they've gotten their eyes off of him. You know, there's a song that we sing, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Um, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so when we get our eyes off of him, that's what happens. You know, we, we lose our perspective, we lose our zeal, we lose our hunger, our desire. And it's a scary thing, isn't it? And so how important then is it for us to continue to abide in the Lord? How important is it for us to gather together? Certainly we're gathering together now, we're just doing it over a, an Ethernet connection. But it's good for us when we're together. It's good for us to be together, whether like this or physically, and I'm looking forward to that. But are you hearing? Hear what the Word of God says and be a doer of the Word. Don't just listen to it and say, well, this is great for somebody else. No, this has got to be great for me. I've got to apply it to my own life and be honest with myself. Would you be honest with yourself today and say, Lord, if there's anything about this, anything about my life, that I'm just kind of going through the motions. I, 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 don't, I don't feel really excited about you anymore. My time in your Word is dead. My prayer life is virtually non-existent. I don't really care about other people. I'm just looking forward to you to return for me, but I have no desire. You know, if that describes you, then God wants to meet you. He wants to touch your heart. Will you take that opportunity, that open door, so to speak? Because believe me, there is an open door for you and I. The Lord opens that door for us, that opportunity to come to Him. Will you come to the Lord? Let's pray. Father, we ask that You would open our eyes. Lord, we know there's a lot of things that we don't understand. And Lord, there are things that we're just not qualified to understand. <laughs> but we know that You understand all things. You're omniscient. You know all things. Lord, help us to rest in Your grace, to rest in Your power, Lord. Not to think that we have got to do all of this, Lord. We, you work in us. And you're working in us, Lord. Help us not to be discouraged regardless of where we're at. Regardless of if we're feeling dried up and, and, and like we're doing nothing. Maybe we don't even know you yet. Maybe we've been talking and we, we, we talk the talk, but there's no walk at all. Lord, if that is true of us, change us, Lord. 
Only you can do this. I cannot. We cannot change ourselves. This is something that you have to do from the outside in. So would you please do that work in us today, Lord? And I pray for anyone here, Lord, um, who may be tuning in for the first time or, um, or maybe has sat here in the church for years. And Lord, maybe now is the time to put away all those things and to finally surrender. Lord, I pray that today would be that day, God, and that you'd meet that, those individuals. And thank you for your love for us, Lord. Thank you for the encouragement that you've given to this church. Lord, it's an encouragement to us. May we draw near to you, Lord. Have your way with us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcasts. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.